Hello, my name is Paula Boddington. This podcast is talking about the PROCARDIS study, which is looking at genome-wide association studies of disease. We're going to look at what's involved in such a study and what potential ethical issues there are. In the first PROCARDIS podcast, I discussed why there's a particular interest in ethical issues in genetics research. The PROCARDIS project is an example of genomics research where information from the genome, which is from across the whole spread of DNA in each individual, is being examined with the aim of improving our understanding of disease. The aim of this talk is to explain in a little more detail about what such a project and similar projects involve, in order to explain in a little bit more detail some of the ethical and social questions that might arise with such scientific projects. It's important to understand that there are some different kinds of research projects which undertake genomics research. Genomics research is taking place in a variety of different kinds of projects. In Procardis, samples have been collected from cases of people who have suffered early onset heart disease and from healthy controls and also from small family groups. Genomics research is also a part of many birth cohort studies. Birth cohorts are studies where a group of people, all born at more or less the same time, usually in a similar geographical area, are studied over many years over the course of their life in order to do study development and the development of disease. Famous examples of this are the 1958 birth cohort and ALSPAC, the Avon Longitudinal Study, also known as children of the 90s. Longitudinal studies are not necessarily birth cohort studies, but take recruits and follow them for a number of years. The Framingham Heart Study, which has taken place in the United States over a number of years, is a well-known example of a longitudinal study, which is based in a small town. The Whitehall studies are also very well-known longitudinal studies, so-called because they have recruited people from government departments in London and followed them over many years. And one of the major subjects of study in the Whitehall studies is actually heart disease. But their studies also include looking at genetic factors, so doing genomics research. Biobank projects, such as the UK Biobank, typically look at a range of diseases, and they'll also include looking at genomics research. The Procardis study is, however, not a long longitudinal study in this sense. What's involved for recruits in the Procardis study? Recruits in Procardis are taken from a number of European countries. They're recruited from Italy, Sweden, Germany and the UK. Patients are recruited and healthy controls. Controls are matched roughly for the same age as the patients. And as I mentioned, in some cases, groups of three people from the same family are recruited. Health information is given and measures such as height and weight, measures such as blood pressure, and a sample of blood was given. The blood was tested for various traits, including blood lipids, and DNA was extracted. The recruits, of course, were all volunteers. The recruits gave informed consent to research on genetics of cardiovascular disease. Procardis has a number of partners, including various universities, and also some commercial partners. Recruits were told that there may possibly be some commercial outcomes of a research, but clearly explained that they themselves would not benefit from any commercial outcomes. And they were also told that they would not be given any individual results 
from the study, although some were given immediate results, such as measurements of blood lipids. Procardis has been performing genome-wide association scans on the DNA, also known as GWAS scans, or sometimes abbreviated to GWAS studies. Many such GWAS studies have been undertaken in recent years. Falling costs and more powerful technology have enabled researchers to look across greater and greater parts of the DNA of the genome of individuals. In a genome-wide association study, typically there are many thousands of recruits. Let's look in a little bit more detail about what a genome-wide association study involves. A genome-wide association scan looks at a large number of points of information across an individual's DNA looking for single nucleotide polymorphisms. These are abbreviated to SNPs, which is actually pronounced SNPs. DNA is made up of many, many different molecules strung together. A nucleotide is one of these molecules. Each, each one of us has roughly three billion of these along our genome. A single nucleotide polymorphism is simply a variation in one of these nucleotides a variation in one of these points along our genome. Polymorphism simply meaning that there's more than one form of a nucleotide. So SNPs are points of variation where some individuals in the population have different patterns of DNA. These SNPs may sometimes have no real effect, but they may produce variations between individuals, such as harmless variations such as differences in hair colour, or more importantly, they may produce variations such as differences in susceptibility to various diseases. In a project such as Procardis, in the genome-wide association scan, a million SNPs are examined for each individual. That is, out of the roughly three billion points along each person's genome, one million are sampled. In future work of this type, as the technology becomes cheaper and more powerful, more and more of each individual's genome can be sampled. And there is some research being undertaken now, which is looking at the whole genome of each individual. Now, cases of those with cardiovascular disease are then compared to healthy controls. If some forms of SNP are found to be more common in cases than in controls, or vice versa, this may help to explain why some people experience disease and others do not. However, even after this, there's still a great deal of work to be done to find out which SNPs are significant and a great deal of painstaking work into the underlying biology is also being undertaken by Procardis scientists. Once a SNP has been found, it's important to understand that this does not mean that the gene has been found. Some of the SNPs are going to be found within genes, and some of the SNPs are found in what's known as non-coding parts of a DNA, which are not actually genes, but long stretches in between genes. They may still, however, be of great biological interest. So there's a lot of underlying biological work in molecular biology to understand what's going on, to understand why some of these SNPs might help to explain how cardiovascular disease arises. Why are there so many recruits to these genome-wide association studies? This is quite important to understand. Because so many different points along the DNA are being looked at and cases are being compared with controls, there's quite a high possibility that some of the associations found will simply be random associations. If only a few people were examined, it might be found simply by fluke 
but those in the disease group had an association with something that was not actually anything to do with causing the disease. So the larger the study size, the smaller the chance that any general association found really indicates a causal relation with the disease of interest. It's also been found that it's really important to do replication studies of genome-wide association studies. A lot of this research is dogged by what's known as winner's curse. It's often found that an initial study will find certain SNPs to be significant, whereas later studies don't actually replicate what seem to be significant. Replications are needed to show that the results are real and not simply the result of chance. So many, many thousands of people need to be recruited and take part in these studies, and then further studies need to be, need to be undertaken to make certain that we know that we've found a SNP which really is associated with the disease of interest. So for this reason, amongst other reasons, it's very common for researchers to share data. This increases the power of a study by making any associations more likely to be truly causal associations. It's also the case that data from one population group may be usefully compared with data from another population group. But to share data in this way, it's also important to preserve mechanisms to protect privacy and confidentiality of recruits. It's also often useful to use archived data. Sharing data also means greater efficiency. Why recruit more people when there's already blood and DNA which have been collected, which can be usefully used for further research? Some people have argued that those who are motivated to contribute to medical research are likely to wish that there's full use made of their samples and their data. But doing the research can use up the samples. It's also important to note that in sharing data, it's really important that we're comparing like with like, making sure that the information on the samples, such as clinical measurements, is consistent between different studies. There's a lot of work being undertaken to make sure that this data is shared consistently and there is harmony between different data sharing groups. However, it's also important to look at limitations on sharing data. The consent agreements on some studies may limit how data can be shared. Some consent agreements limit the type of disease that research can be undertaken on. It's often the case that research ethics committees require that to use such data and samples for other research, the researchers need to go back to ask for further consent. So for example, I've seen some consent forms where consent is given only to research in the genetics of certain cancers. Other consent forms give broader consent to any further medical research, or relate to a broad disease category. For example, in Procardis, consent was given to heart disease. Cardiovascular disease is linked to many different other biological factors, such as lipid levels in the blood, to type 2 diabetes, to factors such as body mass index, and to other factors such as inflammation. Some consent agreements have explicitly said that research will not be used for any commercial purposes, which makes it a bit difficult if research has commercial partners. Some consent agreements rule out returning results to recruits, whereas others may actually build it in that important results will be returned. So that sharing data in genomics may mean that you need to think carefully about how data from different sorts of recruitment is pooled. There's a podcast by Liam Curran on what researchers should know about consent, confidentiality and privacy, which is relevant to looking in more detail at these issues. 
Sharing data in genomics may also mean that effectively it's hard or perhaps impossible to withdraw one's data from a study if it's already been used and results have been published. And there may be some concerns about sharing data across international borders which have different legal jurisdictions. And again, there are many people working on issues of harmonisation across uh, legal issues for such international data sharing. Now, one of the reasons why data in genomics research is often shared internationally is not simply because we want to have large sample sizes, but because population groups are very important to genomics research. Some genomics research looks at large family collections, for example, fa extended families where the disease of interest is found in some members. Some also looks at particular population groups where there may be particular disease patterns. It's well known that certain diseases may be more prevalent in different populations, and also different forms may be more prevalent in different populations. For example, cardiovascular disease is more prevalent in European populations than in Japanese populations. Within Europe, there are differences in the prevalence of cardiovascular disease between North Europe and South Europe, and between East Europe and West Europe. It's really important in trying to understand cardiovascular disease to understand why there are these differences of prevalence. Some of these differences may be due to genetic factors or to other factors such as differences in lifestyle, environment, diet, and patterns of tobacco and alcohol use. Large studies which take into account the geography and ancestry of recruits are needed to untangle all these factors. Now, many people have been concerned about ethical issues in genetics and race, especially following, for example, the Nazi abuses and abuses of eugenics in the 20th century. I briefly touched on this in my first talk on Procardis ethics. Genomics research routinely takes note of ancestry. This is important to exclude confounding factors that may provide false signals. So for instance, if you're comparing two different population groups, and those population groups have got different rates of the disease that you're interested in, they also may have different rates of other genetic traits which have got nothing whatsoever to do with the disease that you're interested in. If you don't take a note of which population group the recruits come from, then you may get confounding factors which are going to give false signals associated with the disease. Procardus research is primarily in European populations, although the Procardus scientists are now, for example, also doing work in conjunction with populations originating from South Asia. Genomics research which is only conducted in one population may not generalise well to different population groups. So failure to take ancestry groups into account may mean that research findings will be less robust and outcomes may be less relevant to certain groups. But for genomics research to proceed equitably, research on different population groups will be needed. Concerns have been raised that genetic research results may stigmatise certain clearly identifiable or isolated population groups, and a lot of thinking has gone into trying to make sure that such stigmatisation does not happen. What about the outcomes of this research? Many people have been concerned about the implications of genetic screening for risks for various diseases. What about screening for genetic risk for heart disease? Is this a foreseeable outcome of the sort of research that Procardis is doing? It's already the case that some commercial direct-to-consumer genetic testing companies include cardiovascular risk scores. 
These are companies well-known such as DecodeMe and 23andMe, where you can send off a sample of DNA which is then analysed and risk scores for various genetic diseases are then returned to you. However, recent work shows that even including all the findings to date about genetic risk factors for cardiovascular disease does not actually improve your risk scoring for cardiovascular disease above conventional measures. Conventional measures are based on things such as body mass index, smoking history, family history, and so on. So you might wonder whether or not direct-to-consumer genetic testing for cardiovascular disease risk was actually really worth the money that you'd spent on it. It's much more likely that work such as Procardis is going to lead to understanding the underlying molecular biology of the disease, which then, in the longer term, will hopefully lead to improved treatment and preventative strategies. But it's important to note that the outcomes of this research may be many years down the track. Work is also looking at different forms of the disease and different expressions in different tissues and different forms of the disease in different populations. Just a point to end on, but a large ethical issue in cardiovascular disease is that cardiovascular disease is strongly related with your social and economic status. It's been very robustly found that there's a gradient of cardiovascular disease. The lower down a person is placed in terms of their socioeconomic status, the higher their risk for cardiovascular disease. It's really important that in devising treatment and preventative strategies for a disease, for any disease, but particularly for a disease which has got such a strong link to socioeconomic status, that the outcomes of research and strategies for treatment and prevention take note of this inequality. Genetic research, therefore, needs to go hand in hand with looking at all the other risk factors and reasons why people suffer from cardiovascular disease.